Shabbat Shalom. That was nice. I did not realize Todd was going to have such a nice drush on um, faith because, lo and behold, believe it or not, my sermon is going to be on faith. Um, and it's not going to look at the faith of, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Daniel, all the big ones. We're going to look at some of the very minor characters with the hope of uh, you'll see yourself in some of these people and that you'll um, will learn and grow in your faith. Let's first... Um, Zach, can we have the first slide, please? No, there are no slides. <laughs> I just wanted to see you freak out. It's okay. Um, Matthew 17, 20 said, If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will. We're not going to expect anybody here to move mountains. However, there are mountains in people's hearts. People who have hearts of stone, and it's very nice for us to move either our own heart or someone else's. Let's speak about mustard seeds. Let's look at Matthew 13, 31. He presented to them another parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in, the, in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, Yet when it's full grown, it's greater than the other herbs. It becomes like a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Very nice example of faith. Uh, first, the mustard seed is planted by someone. It's not just, you know, he could have said a pebble, he could have said an ant, shown something small, but used a mustard seed, because the mustard seed grows into a large tree. God nurtures the mustard seed. Although it's planted by a man, God creates the soil that has nutrients for the mustard seed. He uh, gives it rain. He brings it sunshine. So through God's presence, the mustard seed grows to the point where birds can actually nest in its branches. There's probably no two creatures that are so opposite as a tree and a bird. The tree is grounded in the ground. They have roots that spread out. It's firmly implanted, whereas a bird can fly any place it wants to. So one is completely mobile, the other one is immobile. So is faith. Faith can grow um, with the hope that it will attract others to it. If you just have your faith and you're just off in the closet someplace by yourself, that's not going to do much. But if you have faith that will attract, in this case, birds, will attract people to you, then you've got something that's really special, the way God intended it to be. We're going to go almost in order. Um, I have 10 examples I'm going to give. And I know you're thinking, 10? Yeah, if I do two minutes on each, we've got 20 minutes. That's how much we have to speak. Um, Exodus 1, 15. Moreover, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiprah and the other was Puah, and said, when you help the Hebrew women during childbirth, look at the sex. If it's a son, then kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. Yet the midwives feared God, so they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. 
but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? Let the boys live. The midwives told Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are like animals, and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied, grown very numerous. Because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Now, we don't have faith just so that we can get a reward. That's the whole uh, name and claim it type of religion, which, you know, we don't follow. But it is interesting to know that God will reward us for our faith. Now, this wasn't just some minor little faith that they had. They lied to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, not only was he the king of Egypt, but he was also seen as a god. They could have been killed. They could have been imprisoned. They could have been thrown into prison and then killed. It was a huge risk that they took. Very seldom do we put our faith on the line where our lives are at stake. Even Peter, as uh, Todd read earlier, when he was being challenged, he lied. He didn't know Jesus. He was, it was very easy for him to go back on uh, all the promises he had made. Another really, really good example is Caleb. Um, we know that Caleb was one of 12 spies, one, each from the 12 tribes of Israel. They went to uh, look at the land. Uh, ten of them came back saying, oh, the land is really great. It's filled with milk and honey, but the people there are fierce warriors. They're going to kill us. Let's go back to Egypt and let's not go forward. Only Joshua and Caleb were the only ones who gave a good report. Let's read this, or I'll read it to you. Uh, Numbers 14, 8. If Adonai, this is Caleb speaking, if Adonai is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land and will give, up and give it to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against Adonai and don't be afraid of the people of the land. There will be food for us. The protection over them is God. Adonai is with us. Don't fear him. And in verse 24 he says, However, my servant Caleb, this is God speaking now. However, my servant Caleb, because a different spirit is with him, and he is wholeheartedly behind me, I will bring him into the land where he went. His offspring will inherit it. Remember the other uh, children of Israel has spent 40 years wandering around. Um, only Caleb and Joshua were allowed to go in. God was ready to strike uh, the Israelites with a plague, but Moses kind of um, asked him not to. But the whole idea is that with faith there's a different spirit. We, um, I, I'm sorry that we don't have more than young people here today, but I think this is especially true for young people. To be able to go against the, um, the crowd, to go against what other people are saying, to be able to be your own person and not bend to peer pressure. Here was all of Israel saying, let's not go in, and Caleb stood up and said, yeah, let's go in. God is with us. It's interesting if we can, especially as young people, to be able to say that we want uh, to do what God wants, not what our peers want. One of my favorite passages in all of the Bible is what I'm going to read next. It's uh, in 2 Kings 4. It's a story of the widow and how she goes to Elisha for help. The, um, 
Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. You know that your servant feared out annoy. Now the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. What should I do for you, Elisha asked her. Tell me what you have in the house. She replied, Your handmaid has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go borrow for yourself vessels from all your neighbors, empty jars, not just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and behind your sons and pour into all those vessels, setting aside what is full. So she left him and shut the door behind her and behind her sons. They kept bringing the vessels to her, and she kept pouring. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. But he said to her, There isn't another vessel. So the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God. So he said, Go, sell the oil and pay for your debt. Then you and your sons can live on the rest. She had incredible faith. Her neighbors, remember now, in in Torah, it teaches that we are supposed to take care of our widows and orphans. This woman and her husband is probably a student of one of of, uh, Elisha. They didn't take care of her. They were ready to take away her children. Her neighbors were disobedient, but she still, even in the face of this disobedience, even when society isn't taking care of you, she had enough faith in God and through, through Elisha that things would be taken care of. He used what she already had When we want to express our faith with God, when we want to do something for God, we don't necessarily have to go out and learn to play an instrument or learn a new language. We can take what we already have, and God can use that in us. Also notice that uh, he told us to shut the door. Sometimes God works his greatest miracles in private. We have no idea sometimes about what's happening around us. We don't even know what's going on in our lives, but there are miracles happening through faith every day. We have the story now of, um, it's in Mark 2, of the um, paralyzed man who's being lowered through the roof. Some people came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four men. When they couldn't get near Yeshua because of the crowd, they removed the roof where he was. After digging through, they lowered the mat on which the paralyzed man was lying. Yeshua's seen their faith, that's important. Seeing their faith, said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Later on it says, But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority to pardon sins on earth, he tells the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Sometimes other people's faith can help us express ours. The paralyzed man couldn't get there by himself. He had four people lower him through the roof. I'm wondering why nobody screamed vandalism and saw these guys coming through the roof. But um, I'm part of a a prayer chain sometimes where I get text messages from people saying something's happened and, you know, we pray for somebody's illness or a missing child or whatever. And it's very good to be part of um, the faith, of someone else's faith working through you. I 
would easily urge anybody here who can get other people uh, to count on you to pray for them and to also find other people who will pray for you. I don't know how you feel, but this is going faster than I expected. For you, it might be going much, much too slow. Um, I just pulled up one card by mistake. That's so awful. Um, this reminds, a couple of months ago, a couple of sermons ago, um, I had a book next to me when I was in my pew, a Bible. I had a whole bunch of little tiny slips marking all the places. And Barry was sitting next to me, and Barry looks at this Bible and goes, well, all these slips are on. He starts pulling them out. And he said, no, I need that. Um, that's why I'm using large cards now. And I just pulled one out by mistake on my own. The centurion, uh, Luke 7. When he heard about Yeshua, he sent Jewish elders, Jewish elders to him. The centurion wasn't Jewish. Asking him to come and save his slave. When they came to Yeshua, they begged him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of you to grant this, for he loves our people and even built our synagogue. Now Yeshua started to go with them, and when he wasn't far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Master, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy of you to come into, under my roof. That is why I didn't consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man under the authority, with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Yeshua heard this, he was amazed at him. Turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such a great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. <clears throat> what I found interesting and why I chose this passage is that it's not only for the Jewish people. Yeshua was there working with the centurion. The centurion had a great heart for the Jewish people. And that's pretty significant. Um, next week when we have the Holocaust survivors speak, and one of the things that we have with him are some pastors from various churches talking about how important it is for the church to support Israel today. And as we approach, almost too quickly, the end times, uh, we have to realize that it's important for the faith of Gentiles to be supporting Jews. Uh, one of the lessons we have in the synagogue, even one of our elders is a Gentile, we have some wonderful, wonderful Gentile supporters. A very common one. I think everybody's going to know this one. It's uh, the bleeding woman in um, Luke 8, verse 43 on. And there was a woman with a blood flow for 12 years who could not be healed by anyone. She came up from behind and touched the tzitzes of Yeshua's garment. Immediately, her blood flow stopped. Yeshua said, who touched me? But Yeshua said, someone touched me, for I recognized power going out of me. Then seeing that she could not escape notice, the woman came trembling and fell prostrate before him. In the presence of all the people, she confessed why she had touched him and how she had been healed immediately. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Faith leads to action. And if we're not having any action in our lives based on our faith, our faith is pretty dead. 
she had enough faith that throughout this entire crowd, she was able to push her way through and touch. In order to touch the tzitzis, they were low, so she actually probably had to bend down. Uh, she had to humble herself. This is a short little example, but it's such an, a powerful statement where if we have enough faith, we can be healed through God. Now, don't get me wrong on this one. A lot of times somebody is sick or something terrible happens, somebody loses their job, and somebody will say to them, oh, if you had enough faith, that would have happened to you. That's probably not true at all. But what is important is um, for us to be able to know that if we pray, just sometimes praying alone will make us feel better. Uh, but don't leave God out of your sorrows and troubles. Again, I pull out Luke 19. We have the story of Zacchaeus. Now, Yeshua entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. Boo. Especially at this time of taxes. And he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Yeshua was, but he couldn't because, he, because of the crowd. But he was short in height. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Yeshua, but he was about to pass through that way. Zacchaeus was the first person to go out on a limb for Yeshua. Yeah, uh, okay. When Yeshua came into the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay, so I must stay in your house today. Now notice Zacchaeus had never met Yeshua, met Yeshua he, but Yeshua knew who he was. Yeshua calls us by name. He knows us. It's said elsewhere in the Bible that the Lord has numbered every hair on your head. And each year I make it easier for him. Zacchaeus hurried and came down and welcomed him joyfully. When everyone saw it, they began to grumble, saying, Yeshua has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, Master, half of my possessions I give to the poor. And if I have somehow created, cheated anyone, I repay four times as much. Then Yeshua said to him, Today salvation has come to this home, because he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. You have two things here that I want to point out. First, again, through faith, there's action. Before he met Yeshua, he did not give anything to the poor. He did not give anything to the people he cheated. But once he met Yeshua, once he got faith, he was able to change his ways and to be more productive and to help people. We also have um, the idea that Yeshua went to the lost. Not so much somebody who was perfect, uh, but somebody who needed him the most. Thief on the cross. <coughs> One of the evildoers hanging there was jeering at him, saying, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other one, rebuking him, replied, Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence? We're getting what we deserve for our actions, and rightly so. But this one has done nothing wrong. And he said, 
Yeshua, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Yeshua said to him, Amen, I tell you, today you shall be with me in paradise. That's probably the only thing we can really rightfully ask for, is for our own salvation, to be with God in paradise. I don't know when this man got faith. If it was just that moment when he was hanging there, and he heard Yeshua say, forgive them, for they know what they've done, and uh, whatever moved him to faith at that moment. But this is something that our faith leads to, and it's something that we should all want, is to be able to know that we will be with God in paradise. The idea of the woman of the, at the well. <clears throat> we know that um, Yeshua was talking to a um, Samaritan woman, something they usually didn't do. Um, she was out of well, she was drawing some water, he asked her for a drink. After a little bit of an exchange, and he tells her all the sins that she's guilty of, she says to him, the woman tells him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who was called the anointed one. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Yeshua tells her, I, the one speaking to you, I am. So the woman left her water water jar. Oh, I can have some water too. So the woman left her water jar and went back to the town. She, She tells the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. He couldn't, be the, he couldn't be the Messiah, could he? The people left the town and began coming to him. Many of the Samaritans from that town put their trust in him because of the word of the woman testifying. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans, so when the Samaritans came to him, they kept asking him to stay with them. He stayed there for two days, and many more believed because of his word. They kept telling the woman, it's no longer because of your words that we believe. We've heard for ourselves. Now we know that this really is a savior of the world. Interesting that the Samaritans, some of them found Yeshua before the people of Israel did. I think this is a great example of evangelism. Two things were happening. One, the woman was telling people, and they were believing in Yeshua, but then people heard Yeshua's own words and they began to believe. I think that's one of the things that we have to do to spread the word and to get people to believe. Not so much that we should say the right words and get people to believe, but we should get them to hear what he says. And the way they do that today is through reading scripture. Rather than... It was funny, at Passover, at the Passover here... Uh, there was a woman at my table who the rabbi asked me, make sure you speak to her because she's not really a believer. She's kind of uh, on the line. And uh, see what you can do. So um, my feeling was I wasn't going to say anything in five minutes. I was going to convince her that Yeshua is the Messiah. All I tried to do was convince her to read Matthew. I said, just read one book within the Bible, read Matthew, If that convinces you, great. If it doesn't convince you, maybe we're wrong. But before you read it, do a little prayer. Just say, God, if you're real, let me know. And dive into his word a little bit. 
I think that's a perfect example of what's going on here is that um, our faith can be magnified through the word of God. We don't have to come up with the right words at the right time. All we have to do is get God's word into their minds. Now, for the last one, I'm going to, I chose my absolute favorite portion in all of Scripture. It's the road to Emmaus. Uh, it's right after, the, uh, right after he rose. And there are a lot of people who don't know if he's really the Messiah, if he really did rise, if it's just a rumor that's going around. And there are two people walking to Emmaus, which is about a seven-mile journey between uh, Jerusalem and Emmaus. And along the road, they come to a, a stranger comes to them. Now behold, two of them that very day were traveling to a village named Emmaus, a distance of about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were speaking with one another about all the things that had been happening. While they were talking and discussing, Yeshua himself approached and began traveling, traveling with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I love that line. How many people do we know that their eyes have been kept from knowing him, from recognizing him? Uh, something that we as believers really don't want to happen to anybody we know, but sometimes it's God's way of doing things that some people will not recognize him at the moment we want them to. Then he said to them, what are these things you are discussing with one another as you are walking along? They stood still looking gloomy. Then the one named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? Yeshua said to them, what kind of things? Yeshua said to them, O foolish ones, so, so slow to, of heart to put your trust in all that the prophets spoke. Was it not necessary for Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and the prophets, which is basically the Old Testament, he explained to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. Again, the point is, rather than just saying the right words, the right time to the right people, he got them into scripture. And it happened that when he was reclining at the table with them, he took the matzah, offered a barucha, and breaking it, gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from them. We recognize God when God wants us to recognize him. They said to one another, didn't our heart burn within us while he was, preaching, while he was speaking with us on the road? while he was explaining the scriptures to us. I think there's nothing in scripture that I'm going to find that's going to be more powerful to me personally than that. The whole idea of, as you're reading scripture, that your heart is burning. It shows how much these people loved hearing about Yeshua, but how much they loved hearing about it through scripture. Faith is a wonderful thing to have. Faith will grow the more we get into Scripture. Shabbat Shalom.